With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 23 of the Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise by Victor G. Durham Chapter 23 A Coward's Last Ditch In the morning the Somerset House was favored by two rather distinguished guests. One was Rear Admiral Townsley, the other Congressman Sims. The two had come down together from Washington on the night train. While the Admiral communicated at once with Captain McGowan, Congressman Sims sent his card up to John C. Rhines. The latter, all a-quiver now, and showing a haggard face in which smiles fought for a chance, received his visitor. "'Well, Rhines,' was the congressman's greeting, "'the country is all stirred up over this submarine incident out at sea. So is the Navy Department, which is bound to respond to public opinion in such a case.' "'I'm glad you've come,' replied Mr. Rhines, eagerly. "'I look to you to save me from a most unpleasant, most unmerited charge.' "'No charge has been made against you, yet,' replied the congressman. "'I should have said a suspicion,' replied Rhines, tremulously. "'That suspicion seems to be pretty general,' answered the member of Congress. "'Have you anything to smoke here?' Rhines, with an almost childish eagerness, brought forth a box of cigars, adding, I'll ring and order breakfast served for you here while we talk. Thank you, no, responded the congressman. I've got to move fast today, for I can't spend much time here. I suppose you don't know yet that Admiral Townsley is here, sent by the Secretary of the Navy to investigate and report on this matter. You'll see him? You'll make him understand, won't you? demanded Rhines eagerly. You can't make Townsley understand anything but facts, replied Mr. Sims dryly. I know the man. He's a hard-headed truth-seeker. You see, Rhines, when I received your telegram, I hurried over to the Navy Department to say what I could for you. The Secretary told me that, of course, he didn't want you injured by any unjust suspicions. Of course not, quivered Rhines. At the same time, the Secretary made it plain to me that public sentiment demands that the whole case be brought past the suspicion stage. He advised me to come down here with Townsley and see, for myself, just what I ought to believe. You'll act as my friend, won't you, begged Rhines, tremulously. You'll show Townsley the absurdity of this whole business. Sims, I look to your friendship, for you are my friend, aren't you? Possibly, nodded the other dryly, but I'm also a congressman, responsible to my district, 
my state, and the whole country. Now, Rhines, the whole thing is just here. I'm going to look into this matter, and I'm going to sift it all I can. If I find you're innocent beyond a question, then, well, you know I'm a pretty good fighter. Yes, yes, you'll fight my enemies to a standstill, cried Rhines piteously. But if I find the facts against you, then my hands are tied. If, if it's a question of money, stammered the submarine man. Money, demanded the congressman crisply. What for? Why, er, er, for expenses. I can pay my own expenses, Rhines, in a matter that affects the good name of my district. Now, give me your side of this affair. For an hour the two men remained talking. Rhines fought for himself as hard as he could for he was beginning to suspect that a mere matter of politics would not move the congressman much in this case. Now, I'll leave you for a while, Rhines, and I'll move fast, promised the congressman, rising. But I advise you to stay right here. I may want to see you at any moment. Mr. Sims must have moved rapidly, for two hours later that morning, after having seen many people, including the admiral, the congressman sent a message upstairs urging Rhines to come down at once. As he stepped out from the elevator, a strange pallor on his face, John Rhines beheld the congressman standing with four men, one of whom the old man knew for Ensign Pike, the naval officer who had been stationed aboard the Thor. Another was Lieutenant Danvers. Congressman Sims quickly presented Rhines to the other two, one of whom was Rear Admiral Townsley and the other Lieutenant Casper, the Admiral's aide. Now, Mr. Rhines, pursued the congressman, the Admiral has decided that the first thing to do is to go aboard the Thor and see whether any hiding place exists in which you might have stored a fifth torpedo. But how could I get such a fifth torpedo, faltered the old man. The Navy issues them. They may be bought in the market, too, by one who knows how, replied Rear Admiral Townsley coolly. Your consent to our going aboard your boat, of course, Mr. Rhines? Had there been any reasonable way of preventing it, Rhines would not have agreed, but he saw that he must comply with the request. Admiral Townsley raised a hand in signal. Out of the background came Jacob Farnham and his three submarine boys. These people can't come aboard my boat, protested Rhines. They must, if we do, retorted the Admiral crisply. These are the human beings who were placed in deadly peril by the torpedo that has yet to be accounted for. Rhines no longer objected. All his force, all his will appeared to have departed. He moved along now like a puppet. Down at the waterfront, a naval launch was in waiting. In this, the entire party was taken out to the Thor. Captain Driggs received the callers on the platform deck, and Admiral Townsley stated the object of the visit. Why, Admiral, replied Captain Driggs honestly, I have no knowledge that there was an extra torpedo aboard. Yet, of course, there's a place where such a thing might have been hidden. Take us to it, requested the Admiral. Captain Driggs led the visitors below. There, in the cabin floor, he pointed to a well-concealed trap-door. It opened upon a very considerable space between cabin floor and keel. This space certainly would accommodate a torpedo, declared Admiral Townsley. Mr. Rhines, if we could prove that you had a torpedo in this space the other day, there would be an almost complete case, wouldn't there? But I didn't have, cried Rhines, with cunning insistence. Mr. Driggs, pursued the Admiral, we shall want you as a witness at the investigation on board the Oakland. My aide will hand you a subpoena. This, I believe, gentlemen, is all we have to do here. 
Looking years older, yet holding up his head in a certain kind of bravado, John Rhines returned to shore with the party. No sooner had Rhines entered the hotel than a bellboy moved over, drawing him aside and saying something in a low tone. "'I'll wager that talk would interest us if we could hear it,' remarked Jack Benson sarcastically to his friends. Rhines, however, turned and hurried off. In five minutes he was back in the lobby. Eagerly he glanced about for the Farnham party and located it. Then he moved over to where Farnham and his submarine boys sat. "'Farnham,' breathed the old man anxiously, "'I've a favor to ask of you.' "'That's strange,' replied the shipbuilder, coolly. "'I won't term it a favor, then,' went on the other, restlessly. "'I will put it another way. "'As a simple act of justice, will you meet two people whom I want you to hear?' "'I've heard a good deal lately,' answered Farnham, reluctantly. "'I ask this as a matter of justice. "'Won't you and young Benson step down the corridor with me?' "'How long will this interview take?' demanded Farnham. "'Only a very short time.' "'Well, lead on, then.' Farnham and Captain Jack stepped down a corridor in the wake of their enemy. Rhines led them into the ladies' parlor. Farnham and Jack caught sight of two anxious-faced women, one a refined woman of middle age, the other a beautiful girl of sixteen. "'Mr. Farnham and Mr. Benson, my dear,' announced John Rhines in oily tones. "'Gentlemen, my wife and my daughter Helen. "'Both have something to say to you, gentlemen. "'Be seated, won't you?' "'With that, Rhines slipped away. "'Like many another cur in the hour when he finds himself driven to the wall, "'John Rhines had sent for his wife and daughter. "'He proposed to escape from the consequences of his rascally acts "'by hiding behind the skirts of pure and good women "'who had the strange fortune to have their lives linked with his.' "'What is all this that I have heard, sir?' asked Mrs. Rhines, tears filling her eyes fast, as she turned to regard the Dunhaven shipbuilder. It was the hardest hour Jacob Farnham had ever spent, and the same was true for Jack Benson. This wife and daughter had the most absolute faith in the goodness of John Rhines. They pleaded gently, eloquently, for these two enemies to have faith in their husband and father.' You surely don't believe that Mr. Rhines was at the bottom of any such scoundrelly plots as the papers are talking about, asked Mrs. Rhines, tearfully at last. Madam, replied Farnham, in the gentlest tone he knew how to use, I'll admit I don't like to believe it. And you'll come out in a public interview, saying you're convinced that the whole story is a monstrous lie, won't you, pleaded the wife? Jacob Farnham choked. Uh, I can't promise that, Mrs. Rhines. You'll never believe how hard it is for me to refuse you. Then you do believe my husband guilty, demanded Mrs. Rhines, in a voice full of agony. Oh, I wish I could say what you want me to, Mrs. Rhines, but, well, all I can do is to remain silent. Can't I say something? Something, asked Helen Rhines appealingly. Her moist eyes turned first on Mr. Farnham, then on Captain Jack. Ladies, confessed the Dunhaven shipbuilder. You've already said enough, as I looked at your faces, to make me almost feel that I am one of the worst men alive. Oh, no, 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 protested the girl. You are going to prove yourself the most generous. Then, turning, the girl caught at one of Benson's hands appealingly. You urge him, she begged. When the chief has spoken, I must be silent, Jack answered, clearly, though in a low voice. "'What can you say to us, Mr. Farnham? "'What will you say?' cried Mrs. Rhines desperately. "'Madam,' replied the Dunhaven shipbuilder, 
All I can say is this. I will not, of myself, make any effort to bring your husband before a court. I will make no effort to have the investigation carried any further. That is all I can say. Jack, if you have anything to say to these ladies that will soften my words, then, in the name of mercy, say it. Ladies, spoke Captain Jack Benson, looking mother and daughter full in the eye, in turn, you have heard the extent of Mr. Farnham's promise. He is a man who lives by the rules of justice. You are the only two in the world who could have wrung from him such a promise as you have secured. With that, Farnham and his young captain succeeded in taking their leave, making their escape, as they felt, from a most trying situation. End of chapter 23